The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and we're ministering to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today is the great day, the annual time that Christians around the world read again the account of Christ's temptation in the wilderness. And this is a a momentous and significant occasion that's worth your attention, for this is the time that the Garden of Eden is recapitulated, only this time where the first Adam fell and plunged all of us together with him into guilt and sin and death. The second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, overcomes. Today we can analyze a bit the character and content of Satan's temptation, the character and content of Christ's response, and from this we can see how Christ's temptation and his overcoming of the devil means everything for our faith and life today. I want you to notice today how in this account from Matthew chapter 4, Satan didn't tempt Jesus with what we normally think of as temptations. He didn't bring Jesus out to a wild night in the big city to tempt him with sinful vices. No, for Jesus, Satan tempted him not with vices, but with good things, with bread and safety and lordship. And this approach from Satan reveals to us that temptation is often more than the lure of sinful vice. It's actually going to require a far deeper response to temptation than we might otherwise think. See, on the surface, it might 
seem like Satan was tempting Jesus with things like, is your tummy growling? Then why not make some bread? And if you are feeling afraid, then why not trust in God? And if you are going to be weak, why not do something to make yourself stronger again? But through these temptations, you'll probably notice that as you dig deeper, Satan wasn't offering to satisfy a need, not really. He was appealing to our Lord's own status. You're the son of God, aren't you? Why should someone like you have to go hungry? Don't you deserve better? You're the son of God, aren't you? Why should someone like you face the rejection of men? Don't you deserve better? You're the son of God, aren't you? Why should someone like you, if that's really who you are, why should someone like you face danger and distress? Satan was appealing to Christ's very status as the son of God. And you could put it in a simple phrase like this. Satan's asking Jesus, are you sure your father is really worth obeying? Are you sure he's worth following? Now, just as it's enlightening to analyze how Satan tempts, it's enlightening to see how Jesus responded. You'll note he did not respond with some appeal to a vague and nameless universe that would balance everything out for him as many of our spiritual but not religious friends and neighbors do. He didn't appeal to a secret voice from God as many of our Pentecostal friends and neighbors may do. He didn't even appeal to his superior moral training and education and practice as many of our Protestant friends and neighbors do. In the case of Christ, he appealed primarily to his relationship with his father. This wasn't something he was going to simply out-muscle temptation. There was going to be something else at play here in this account. He overcame Satan by the power of his relationship with the father. And so Jesus was rejecting the very premise, the very logic behind what Satan was offering. And he did so by connecting the public word of promise he had heard from the Father and applying it to his conduct in that very moment. He had heard at his baptism the Father say, You are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. And from there, he reasoned and concluded that the same father who said such a thing must really have meant it for his good when he also said in his word, man shall not live on bread alone and do not put the Lord your God to the test and worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The strategy Satan was following was to offer Jesus an exit from his relationship with the father And his tactic was to make that exit as appealing as he possibly could by appealing to his status and trying to convince Jesus that he actually deserved better than what the Lord, his father, was offering. And this is, of course, the same temptation that often is leveled at you and me. 
when our enemy prompts the question in you and in me, is this God we follow, this Lord we worship, is he really worth it? And I think it is often the case that when Christians are pursuing the new life of Christian faith, that this kind of temptation starts to weigh heavily on us. The question, are we missing out on something that we would otherwise enjoy? Is there something God is holding back from us? Is there some joy in life or some satisfaction or some experience that we are foregoing because we follow the Lord? Which is why seeing how Jesus overcomes is so useful and powerful for us today. Jesus rejected the lie that in relationship with the Father, there's anything worth having at all unless it comes by the hand and the will and the mouth and the word of the Lord. This means that because of Christ's relationship with the Father, it really was the case that Satan could offer him nothing that he really wanted. Nothing that he truly desired, not even bread or security or lordship, because Jesus lacked nothing. It wasn't that he deserved better, it was that he already had the best. He had his relationship with the Father, a relationship in which he honors and loves and serves the Father, and the Father in turn loves and serves and honors the Son. And so the strength to overcome temptation didn't come from outmuscling it or outwilling it, but it bloomed naturally from the relationship he had with the Father. His heart was so captivated by the beauty of relationship with the Father that there was nothing Satan could offer that could pry Christ and his heart and love away from the Father. Even when Satan offered a way out, from the suffering that was in his future, Jesus could not imagine taking that deal. Because even if he were to gain the whole world, the fact of the matter is he would have lost you. Don't forget that the scriptures reveal that it was the gracious will and counsel of the Father and the Son from all eternity to know you by name and to redeem you which means for Jesus to take this escape option, this exit plan from his relationship with the Father, would mean to abandon you to sin and death and to the devil. It was for you that Jesus said, be gone, Satan. It was for you that Jesus went from this hunger, from 40 days of fasting, to the cosmic hunger of the cross. It was for you that Jesus went from the precarious position on the pinnacle of the temple to falling deep into the endless anguish of eternal suffering for you. It was for you that Jesus held fast to the public word of promise from his Father, that he went to the depths of suffering to endure the hunger and the loss and the pain that was to be yours and mine forever because of the guilt we have inherited from Adam the first Adam. It was for you that Jesus broke the chains of death. It was for you that he was obedient to all righteousness so that he is now more than satisfied with bread. He is the bread of life who can satisfy you and me in all things. 
He is free not only from suffering, but free from death and the grave. And because he is free from the death and from death and the grave, you and I are as well. For you and I are in him and he is in us. And he now enjoys more than temporal authority over a few kingdoms of the Middle East in the first century. He now is ruler of all things, king of kings and lord of lords. And he rules for you. Jesus has exposed the empty claims of the devil. When he says you deserve better, the premise is false. The logic doesn't add up. You already have the best because you are in Christ. You are clothed in his righteousness. And Satan himself now cowers in your presence. You can live like this is true. You should live like this is true because it is true. The righteousness of Christ is yours. The relationship with him that you enjoy connects you to the same father that he is captivated by and for whom he gave up all things for you. And because you are in him and he is in you, one day death itself will release you from the grave so that you can stand in this glorious relationship and in the presence of the father forever. And in the light of this, what reason then do any of us have to give any time or attention to all the ways that Satan might sow in us distraction and discontent with our God? And in light of this, what reason then do any of us have to neglect our connection to our great Jesus? Amen.